Welcome to Atmospheric Tales, a podcast that amplifies stories and experiences related to air pollution and climate change from around the world. I'm your host Shahzad Ghani and welcome to another episode of Atmospheric Tales. Our guest today is Professor Marcia Barbosa, who is a professor of physics at the Federal University of Rio Grande do Sul, member of the Brazilian Academy of Sciences and the World Academy of Sciences. Since 2023, he has been Secretary of Strategic Policy and Programs at the Brazilian Ministry of Science, Technology and Innovation. She has been awarded several academic awards, including the L'Oreal UNESCO Women in Physical Sciences Award in 2013 for her scientific research using water anomalies under confinement and nanosciences to create new ideas for desalination and produce drinkable water. She also studies gender inequity in the academy and how equity is an instrument of efficiency. Our interviewer today is Beatriz Araujo, a climate expert, lawyer and consultant holding a Master of Public Policy degree from the University of Oxford. She started her journey in the climate field as a researcher and activist back in 2013 when she coordinated the first Brazilian youth delegation to attend the UNFCCC COP with the NGO Engaya Mundo. She then co-founded a social environmental protection NGO aimed at bridging the international climate change agenda with local issues working alongside with indigenous peoples and traditional communities. Pietris currently acts as an independent consultant, developing projects with governments, businesses and civil societies on subjects such as climate finance, just transitions and innovation. She also serves as the president of the Environmental Law Commission of the Bar Association of the State of Sierra and as a counsellor of the State of Sierra Environmental Council. Welcome to the show, Marcia and Beatriz. Thank you, Shazad, and also thank you, Professor Marcia. Thank you for the invitation, Shazad and Beatriz. It's such a pleasure to be your interviewer for today. I know that you have a very important role in the Brazilian government right now with science and technology. So it's it's really an honor to be able to ask you some questions. Thank you. So. Brazil plays a pivotal role in confronting the challenges and embracing the opportunities presented by the climate change crisis. As the world's sixth largest emitter, according to Climate Watch data, our emissions predominantly come from deforestation in the Amazon rainforest, despite our reputation for a clean energy matrix. As we face the imperative of reducing deforestation and restoring our biomes, We also face the opportunities offered by renewable energies and the inherent value of our traditional knowledge and biodiversity. So, in your capacity as both a scientist and a government leader, how do you envision Brazil harnessing these opportunities to foster sustainable development within our national economy? Beatriz, we have a huge challenge. The first challenge is to reduce deforestation, and I don't think that is a trivial thing because we have a huge forest. So we use technology, use satellite technology to monitor where we are having deforestation to attack those areas. But there are areas in which in Brazil, this deforestation is little. And in those areas, people are cutting the trees to plant food, and that's not against the law. So how do you handle this? The only way to handle this part of this forestation that is legal, because people are planting food, not only for Brazilians to eat, but for the whole world to eat, is to try to create an agriculture 
of low carbon. And that's a huge challenge because it requires understanding our own agriculture and bringing up technology. So that's one important issue. There is a second important issue that I think in the world, people are not looking at it carefully. That is the fact that we need to replace the whole production matrix based in oil. What do I mean? Look around yourself. You're listening to us. Look around yourself. You are going to see a number of things, chairs, computers, toys, plates that are manufactured using oil, using plastic, using oil technology. We have to replace it. Zero carbon means zero digging for oil. So we need to replace it by something else. And one way to go, my favorite way to go, is to translate all these chemicals to uh, biology. What, synthetic biology means using the mechanism that biology creates to replace the things that we use every day. And that is something that's a challenge for everybody, but it's an opportunity for countries like Brazil that have this huge biodiversity. So two ways to go. Low carbon in an agriculture, stopping cutting the trees when you can, and also looking for new ways to make the production not oil-based anymore. Yeah, um, in both ways, right? We will need a lot of new technologies. And my second question on this topic would be, um, do you foresee the creation of national technologies that enhance our independence while also facilitating the transfer of knowledge to aid other nations in addressing the climate crisis? One thing I, is already happening in Brazil, that is we are progressing in the second generation ethanol. Brazil, at the beginning of the ethanol, was big on it. But what we are doing in the first generation ethanol, we're using in a very inefficient way, the crops. Now, in the second generation ethanol, we are using in a more efficient way the crops, the waste from our food production, and we are enhancing it thanks to what they call this synthetic biology. We realize that some of the enzymes present in the intestine of some uh, animals in, in, in Brazil, they were able to digest cellulose. So we are using these enzymes to the second uh, generation ethanol produ uh, production. So we are already going to this end. And I think this is something ready to go, ready to pack, that you can proceed. But there is a second opportunity that we have to realize. We know very little about the biodiversity of Amazon and Cerrado, the two most difficult regions to access in Brazil. And this biotechnology, this biodiversity can help us to design new ways to produce goods for the country. We have to, to change our ways to make, instead of having this huge production of food that we have now that have a high uh, carbon release, we can generate in small, small communities. 
And we are doing that at the Ministry of Science and Technology by going to these areas and trying to improve their production. Let me give you an example. There is an animal, a fish in the Amazon, that grows 12 kilos in the first year of this fish life. This animal, it grows fast, and we have to understand how this animal can do that, what's the biology behind that, so we can maybe create a fast way to produce food for the country. This is the kind that we go to the community, you help the community to create goods and create production and have a better, more sanitary way to produce this these pilaricult, that's the name of the fish. We can learn from the fish, learn from the biodiversity to create more things, to scale up this knowledge. So it's a two-way goal. Let's do something different from the uh, North Hemisphere is doing. Now, let's do different types of foods than the North Hemisphere is doing. Let's create new path for food we design in a way of low carbon emission. Thank you, Professor. It's so amazing the kind of knowledge that we have based here in Brazil and that could help solve the climate crisis as a whole out there in the world, right? So going to our second theme, which is climate negotiations, we know that Brazilian diplomacy is well recognized for playing a leading role in climate negotiations. So historically, the country has been a great defender of the common but differentiated responsibilities concept, for instance, and has greatly contributed to solving the climate crisis problem by reducing deforestation in the Amazon rainforest, as you have already mentioned, and creating the first ever results-paying mechanism to reduce deforestation, which is the Amazon Fund, which served as an example to the international community. And after a short break in ambition in previous governments, Brazil is coming back now, updating its NTC and internal climate policy. Um, and how do you view the Brazilian contribution in the international scenario? And what role do you think we have to play in climate negotiations? I think uh, the, the Amazon Fund, it's a very important progress because it means that the world wants the Amazon to be... Uh, surviving and is contributing for it. But I think the world sometimes wants to understand in locus what is happening there. So in the Ministry of Science and Technology Innovation, and together with one institute called Mamirawa that is located in the center, in the core of the Amazon, it created a device in which this device can be put in the trees and collect by taping sounds and images of the region. This is, this is already set up. This already exists. What is our dream? And if this is dream, I think we are going to engage everybody in the planet in the protection of the forest. I want to put regions, large regions, the regions where the indigenous peoples are living, I want to put them online. What means that I need thousands of these devices and I need stationary satellites to tape it. 
So when you are in your home, in any place of the planet, and you want to check a specific tree, the tree that will have this device will have a cure, cure code, you can see what the tree is saying. You can listen what is being around the street. And if you, for some instance, you get impassioned with a certain type of uh, bird, or like me, I am in love with monkeys, you can select the frequency that you love, and you can hear every day your favorite bird or monkey. But also, you will be a guardian of people cutting the trees, people putting fire in the forest. So it's, it's like a forest online. I know this is a big dream, this is costly, but we are discussing that with strength here in the Ministry of Science and Technology, together with the Minister of Environment, together with Minister of Indigenous People. We, last week, we, uh, we are in the locals, one of those areas with, the, with people from the Ministry of Indigenous People, because we have a project together with them to develop uh, indigenous, indigenous center of research in which they are the protagonists, they are the running the show, and they got really motivated in that. We need to show the force. So this is, is a giving back to the world what the efforts we are doing. But also, Brazil will have to become even more and now that we are going next year to receive uh, the, the copy in Belay, we need to push harder to the commitment that the world has to make uh, globally for the South. Because it's very easy. It was just in a meeting of a number of Europeans discussing how they are going to use high tech to decrease emissions in a you know, very high-tech style, and I said, you are tempted to reform an old house, meaning that you are putting a lot of technology to decrease the carbon emission, but you're not changing the way of life. We need to start discussing a change of way of life in the sense of changing the way you produce energy, changing the way we clean water, change the way you build our cities, we divide, we, we build our companies. We have to bring new way of thing because only reforming the old way will not get to zero emission. Yeah, and Brazil also plays a huge role in showing what other ways are possible, right? With our indigenous peoples and local communities and traditional ways of living, I think this really... Um, shines a light on what we're trying to say so it just doesn't become uh, an empty speech but we can show from experience right that we have this going on here in our country exactly let me give you an example I, a few weeks ago i was discussing with some people from europe that one breakthrough anybody in 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 material science realized that we need to do is the transition for hard materials to biological materials. They call that artificial life. Eh? Everybody knows that we have to do that. However, if you are in a country in which you rely strongly in a traditional chemical uh, industry type, and that's the case of Germany, that's the case of Holland, 
it's a case of France. It will be very difficult for this, those countries to say, we are going to abandon the traditional methodology to handle materials with chemical, traditional chemical, and change that to biological system. It's hard. So which countries will be the countries that will have the chance, the opportunity to do it? Are the countries in which the chemical industry is not greatly developed? And all those countries are in the South. So in the global South. So as global sectors, I think many countries have to start to work together to follow those breakthroughs, to start to think that getting developed doesn't mean to copy and paste the methodology of countries in Europe or United States have designed in the past because those methodologies were the methodologies that trashed the, uh, all the planet. So we need to, to redesign what means development. We have to redesign what means industrial production from the start. And we are in a privileged point for doing that because we are in a point in which you don't need, you don't have this push from the old industry because it, they are still, they're very small. Okay. So I'm optimistic that we still bind together uh, two bricks, for example, those countries, we will be able to make a transition, what they call in physics, a phased transition, like water to ice or water to gas, a huge transition from a, a way of living in which you are based in oil, you're based in producing uh, CO2 to something very different. And by being different, I think we can commit ourselves to be more equal to. Yeah, that's amazing. It's a huge challenge, but I think that we have incredible people like yourself who are in the position to really push for these agendas and to make sure that our country becomes less dependent on these kinds of technologies that have, as you said, trashed the planet and go all the way to the other side to promote cleaner technologies, right? As you were explaining the, the biological ones. And that is also very related to a topic that we have already discussed, which is biodiversity and also something that we have um, started to talk about, which is the indigenous knowledges and traditional knowledges here in Brazil. So moving on to our next theme, Brazil has a large population of indigenous peoples with 1.7 million people who are part of more than 260 peoples from different ethnic groups, such as the Guarani, the Makushi, and the Yanama. The ethnic and linguistic diversity of Brazil's original peoples is of great importance for maintaining the country's cultural plurality. However, for many years, indigenous peoples were persecuted and their culture was silent. Fortunately, this tide has been shifting in recent years, with indigenous voices having more visibility, especially when related to the climate agenda. Um, Professor Marcia, how does the knowledge of indigenous peoples here in Brazil dialogue with the environmental and climate issues we're talking about? And in which ways can we, as non-indigenous Brazilians, act to value and support indigenous ways of knowing? Yeah. Let me start giving you something that we just 
recently learned learn about, okay, the science learned about. For many, many years, people thought the Amazon forest was like a rural forest. Okay, suddenly, nature created the forest. But actually, more and more evidence shows that that was a planted forest. So the indigenous people, people that lived there for ages, were creating like a huge garden, you know, were creating this forest uh, with their knowledge. So we realize, and, and it's not one knowledge, because there are many different types of people living in this area. So we realize, wow, that's uh, an important thing. It's important to have a dialogue with this heritage, okay? But we have to be careful, because for ages what uh, we non-indigenous people did, and we still do it, is that you go there and you try to bring our way to educate, our way to make science, our way to live and transform and erase their way. So one project we, that we are doing now with the indigenous people is that we are going to fund a network of them. We have limited funding, so we are going to, we are discussing with all those peoples, all, all those different groups, so they will select a couple of them and they will create a center of knowledge, of their knowledge. They will select which knowledge, how it's going to be built, and you're going to bring the resources and you're going to follow what is going on to learn if this initiative can be scaled up. It's, it's, it's a huge challenge because there are many different languages, many different cultures, many different attitudes. However, it's very exciting. I can tell you one thing. I was in this travel, I was with Andre Baniwa. Baniwa is one of those tribes. And we are talking about education. How do you educate the kid? Okay. So what they do is that they ask for the, to the kings what they want to learn about. And starting from the interest of the kids, they bring their knowledge or the combination of their knowledge with what we know. And, and they design classes in which the kids interact with this knowledge. For instance, if the kids decide that they want to learn about rain, they will look to the red. They look to the process, but they will put hands on. I start to smile when he start explaining that because actually this same methodology in our, you know, my education receive names. We call that hands on and receive also literature by the main educators of the world saying that we have to have the education starts from the desire from the people that's being educated. So it's fascinating how even though different, even though coming from a history that's so far apart, some things we are going to figure out in this process that are the same. At some point, I, I'm a specialist in water. So in, at some point, we start to discuss about water. I want to understand how their culture looks to water, what 
I look to water. And uh, he asked me, Miss Marcia, from where all the water in the planet came? And I told, because he said, in my culture, we never had an explanation for that. And I said, in my, my culture, we are still looking for the answer to that. There are many hypotheses, and the scientists are discussing which hypothesis some say that come from outside Earth, in which was created by different bodies and water was released, something that's from the inner side of the planet. But it's fascinating how the questions are so human. The basic knowledge is always coming from a humanistic point of view. So I'm very excited about this project because I can envision as a pilot that it create bridges between different types of knowledge. It's fascinating, right? How somehow all of us as humans end up asking the same questions and sometimes even finding the same answers and being able to exchange that is really something that can change the game when it, when it comes to climate change. Because as you were explaining, I had no idea that the Amazon rainforest was also planted. So if it was planted back then in the beginning, we can replant it now, right? We can fix the problem with this traditional knowledge and working alongside with indigenous people. So that's so amazing. And also talking a little bit about your work with water, we know that Brazil is a rich country in water and we, we are estimated to have about 12% of the world's surface water resources. Um, but we also know that this water is un unevenly distributed across the country and we still have over 33 million Brazilians um, lacking access to water. So I wanted to ask you a few questions about that. Um, what role does science and technology play in resolving water scarcity and what are viable solutions in the Brazilian context? And also, could these solutions be applied to other regions of the planet? Yes. Let me start with the enabling distribution of water in Brazil. We have visions in Brazil that, thanks to climate change, are going to become desert. Uh, for those regions, there is one social for survival that's uh, digging wells because we still have a reasonable distribution of underneath water. However, and in life there is always a however, but in many parts this water is blackish water, means that they are salty water. So what's the solution for, for that? And you are going to imagine desalination plant. However, the, this, the natural process that you can see in different countries are just huge desalination plants that you have in California and you have in many countries, in Arab countries. But the way we have to go is to create small desalination uh, devices. And that's not something futuristic. I worked in, I am a theoretical physicist, so we designed more than 10 years ago a process with nanographene, means nanomaterials, which separate water from salt. And now the University of Minas Gerais is already producing it, small scale, whole you know, kind of desalination filters for using at home. What means that it will be possible to 
have done in small regions, small communities in those areas in which we have desertification. Another type of solution we have to envision is how to clean the water. Because even though we have the water, the water most of the times is contaminated. Okay, even the aquifers, aquifers is like an ocean underneath the ground, we, and we have a big one in the south of Brazil, big. It, it goes for three or four states. It's already contaminated by the agriculture, so we need to clean it up. So it's also an opportunity to create filters for water. Even in the Amazon, the rivers don't contain clean water. We need to create ways to clean this water. So it's, but not a big scale way, but a small scale way. And there are a number of devices that are being developed in the country that we are using for that. And I imagine that in other areas of the planet in which the solution have to be a small scale solution, those same devices that we are developing here can be used elsewhere. And also, Brazil plays also an important role in developing these technologies and also transferring these technologies, right, to other countries that could receive them. And moving on to our final theme, it's been such a pleasure to be talking to you. Um, but when it comes to being a woman, in science and technology, um, we know that you occupy a very high a strategic position in the ministry, and you have been yourself dedicated to studying gender diversity and women in leadership positions in academia. So, addressing issues such as productivity, harassment, misogyny, etc. So, what do you think are the main barriers that women face in reaching senior positions during their career? The first thing we need to realize is that when you're educating a small kid, you have to treat them with equity. And I get very irritated when I see a girl that is doing a wonderful job at school and people call her hard work. But when it is a boy, call intelligence. You know, because our society gives a different price, a different value for intelligent people than for hardworking people. Okay, so we have to be fair. I don't recall both hardworking or you call both intelligent. So that is the first barrier. We are convinced that we are not intelligent. And there is a studies that show that by seven years of age, Kids already think that men are intelligent and women are hard work. So we have to fix that. The second fix that we have to do is that we have to stimulate the girls to be whatever they want. And the percentage of women going to hard science, engineer, is very small. What means that those fields are contaminated with a certain vision. You know, science have no gender, but the people doing science, when they have gender, means that they bring ideas that are based on their own life. And we need to have more gender balance. Again, there are no more studies 
that show that we have a diversity in the environment, this environment becomes more efficient. But there is the, another issue that's true in every single field, is the fact that when a woman is growing in the career, the way, the strategy used to push her down, push her away, is harassment. Many types of harassment, not only sexual harassment, but moral harassment. Calling her this, calling her that, talking about the, her clothes, the way she was moving, instead of talking about her work. And also, using that, she's a woman to undergrade the things she was doing. We need to battle against this. It's very important to have ethical rules in every sector of our society and push this, this rules as hard as possible. And you might think, Marcia, but you already, I, I don't call myself old, but I call myself young for many years. So I have been young for many years. What means that already in a point of my life, that you might imagine that I'm not suffering anymore from any type of harassment. That's not true. Even yesterday, in the middle of a discussion that had nothing to do with gender, someone brought that I was just saying this and this and this and this because I want to bring a gender perspective on the top of a discussion that has no gender perspective. So... There is no moment of peace, but we are going to work hard and we are going to change this to have a more equity society and with that, a more efficient society. Thank you so much, Professor Marcia, for coming to our show and for all these amazing insights, especially now with this final one on the gender perspective. I myself as a woman can relate to everything that you're saying and I'm sorry that you had to go through what you went through in the meeting yesterday, um, but I'm sure that you're offering all of these people of a very new perspective and you are making your work environment more efficient. And I can see from everything that you've been doing that you're creating massive change for our country. So also as a Brazilian, thank you so much for being in the position that you are right now. Um, and looking forward to see what amazing things you're going to accomplish in your role in the government. Um, and wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you, Beatriz. It was really a pleasure to talk with you. With that, I would like to thank our guests, Professor Marcia Barbosa and our interviewer, Beatriz Araujo, for joining us on this episode of Atmospheric Tales. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe and share.